Are you looking for the perfect rehydration drink to support your active lifestyle? Well, my friends, look no further than Hoist. Hoist is there for you whether you're going to use it pre-workout, in the middle of your workout in between sets, after workout, maybe if you're traveling, if you feel that dehydration headache sneaking up on you, or maybe if you just had a late night the night before and you need to reset and get back after it. With three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks with half the sugar and no high fructose corn syrup, no artificial preservatives, sweeteners, or dyes, Hoist is BPA-free, it's kosher, and most importantly, it's made in the USA, baby. We all use Hoist, and I can't speak highly of it enough. Whether I'm doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I'm out doing tactical operations, or I'm in the gym trying to make sure that I'm harder to kill, Hoist is always there to support me. With five delicious flavors you can pick up at your local grocery store or gas station, I love the dragon fruit, but you can try the orange, watermelon, peach mango, or strawberry lemonade. Hoist knows that you don't do normal things, and you might be out in the wilderness on a hunt, or you might be on a long ruck. Well, they hear you, and they've also got three delicious powder packs that you can mix in water anytime you want it. Peach mango, grape, and that fruit punch is that hitter for those packets. So go check them out. If you need IV level hydration for your normal everyday-to-day activity, or if you're trying to get after it working two workouts a day, Hoist is there to support you. Go check them out. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Ones Ready podcast. You're in the team room. Uh, I can't actually believe it, but Aaron and Trent are in the same room, so it's a little weird. I'm working through it right now. I'll get over it. The more important thing, though, is that we have a a pretty amazing guest today, Um, and I'm actually shocked that we were able to get him on. We have Chief Mike Lampy, and if you've never heard of him, uh, well, you're wrong because you need to get into the history books about what you know, combat control, pararescue, and what is now SR is all about and where we came from. Um, Chief Lampy, appreciate you joining us. Uh, I know, you know, we are not in the habit of really telling our story, but I mean, you are one of the uh, the OGs or the, the original guys to actually do this kind of stuff from all the way in, in Vietnam. So really appreciate you joining us. Uh, my pleasure, guys. So since we're talking about like from the beginning, and I mean, you have an incredible, incredible career, um, have been recognized by SOCOM for everything that you've done for not just, you know, combat control and the aspect war career fields, but all of SOCOM. So, um, (laughs) I mean, this, this would be a book if we, if we really wanted to do it, but if you don't mind kind of I know that you didn't originally come in as a combat controller. You had actually cross-trained. So from your time starting as a combat controller, if you don't mind um, kind of dipping your toes into the history books. Yeah, it, uh, you're right. I didn't uh, uh, come into the Air Force originally as a combat controller. Actually, uh, originally I was drafted in the Army right out of high school in 68. And I figured out how to navigate the, the bureaucracy and uh, got myself uh, into the Air Force versus going to basic training. I think at that time in 68 was at Fort Lewis and the, the fall, the winter of 68 and uh, got into delayed enlistment plan and uh, ended up uh, at Lackland. I think it was in April, April 69 and uh and went through basic training. And then, uh, uh, of course, back then, you didn't have much choices. They basically filled the void of the career fields that uh, uh, needed people. And I 
you know, pretty much part, most of my uh, basic training class either went to the air police at that time and administrative and personnel. And there was a few outliers going to different uh, career fields. And so, you know, I went to Keesler Air Force Base, did my admin uh, tech school there, experienced uh, Hurricane Camille uh, while I was there, which uh, delayed uh, the process of getting through school. And then I got reassigned to Clark Air Base, the Philippines. And there I got assigned to what was then called the CBPO, uh, Consolidated Base Personnel Office. And I was in a yeah, administrative pool, about nine of us, and we did everything, you know, from typing correspondence, to update manuals, regulations, doing distribution runs, uh, managing the mobility lines, etc. And then, uh, for some reason, I was fortunate or unfortunate. I used to do the distribution run over to the base commander's office from CBPO, and the sergeant major. Uh, at that time, a guy named Sergeant Major Savala, which is related to Terry Savala, the actor. The actor? Uh, That's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, he, was, he was a crew cut. He was a former Army infantryman and actually had uh, two combat uh, jump scars, uh, you know, combat infantry badge, uh, a couple purple hearts and a bronze star. So, um, I didn't get a vote, uh, I got reassigned there and I worked for him. And of course, during that time frame, uh, I started looking at uh, other options in the Air Force. You know, not that the admin career field was a bad career field, don't get me wrong, um, but I wanted uh, to do something else, you know, cause I grew up in Washington State over in a place called Little Silverdale, Washington, not much littler anymore. And my dad was a logger and my mom was a nurse's aide. So I spent most of my uh, childhood out in the woods with my dad. So I just kind of didn't necessarily enjoy the office uh, environment, if you know what I mean. And uh, so I kept looking through different options. And then there was a article in the Airman's Magazine uh, that uh, um, had a... Uh, article in there on pararescue. And so I looked into trying to cross train into pararescue, but because I wore glasses and I didn't have 20-20 vision, uh, I got opted out of that. And then I came across uh, what was called the Air Commando or the Jungle Gym Program when I'm digging through all these uh, regulations, manuals as I call them. And so I applied for the Air Commando Program or the jungle gym program You're thinking you know i'm gonna uh, get assigned i'm gonna go to jump school etc cetera, etc cetera. so the sergeant major there uh the base sergeant major you know assisted me along with the uh vice uh, uh command vice base commander a gentleman called colonel bobbitt and uh he'd been a previous i think a b-25 uh bomber pilot had been shot down and captured and spent time in the German POV or POW camp. So I had some uh, interesting early mentors per se uh, that kind of helped me through the bureaucracy. Well, 
after my tour of duty was up in the Philippines, I got reassigned to Hurlburt for special operations wing. So my, uh, what do you call it, sponsor, you know, picked me up at the little airport there at Fort Walton Beach that was shared by Eglin and which I assume is still shared by Eglin Air Force Base. And, you know, I started talking, hey, when am I gonna go to jump school? When's this gonna happen? And the, the guy looked at me and says, what do you guys smoke over there in the Philippines? You know? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm sitting there looking. I said, what do you mean? You know, I signed up to be an air commando. You know, you know, when I'm full. No, you're going to the 438th uh, combat support uh, squadron. And you're going to be working for a guy named Colonel Allen, who's the comptroller for the whole wing. And you'll be his admin guy. And you've got oodles of safes to to get squared away and uh you talk about a sticker shock you know i'm sitting there scratching my head so i show up i report to colonel allen and he's right there was like 10 safes just overflowing <clears throat> with i guess financial paperwork that hadn't been you know taken care of in the appropriate uh way and he just turned to, that's your job for the next six months, Airman Lampy. I think I was an airman first at the time. And I explained to him, you know, why I was here. <laughs> he says, yeah, I understand. But he says the jungle gym program, the air commando thing's kind of been disbanded. And, and uh, so you're here as my admin assistant. You come highly recommended from the... Uh, the base commander at Philippines, and we're happy to have you on board. Now get to work. <laughs> well, welcome. So, you are you're actually behind Airman Lampy. So uh, yeah. why don't you? Would you like to start now, or you need, yeah. you need some water? Yeah, exactly. And, and so I said, okay, I, I'm not taking no for an answer. And I guess I was kind of a, you know, you know, a little rough around the edges, uh, probably a lot. So I marched up to CBPO and. And CBPO at the time had a reception desk, you know, that you, you couldn't get past that reception desk to go to anywhere in the CBPO. That was like the, the gatekeeper. Yeah. And we had this uh, young lady there and, and I walked in and, and of course smoking was uh, uh, allowed that time. And so I'm trying to explain my dilemma and my disappointment and you know she's sitting there smoking and blowing smoke in my face you know and <laughs> that's that's wild chief i, I just gotta say like i i love hearing uh you know i love hearing these historical things but specifically for this like i can picture this perfectly in my head like some late some woman that does not want to help you and it's just like what do you want kid <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly so so what happened during that time frame the, the chief of cbo davis i think was named you know, heard portion of it. And he took me off the side and he said, hey, Airman Lampy, uh, why, why don't we take a ride? So he took me over to the first SAL combat control team. <clears throat> the uh, chief over there, or the uh, senior enlisted uh, guy at the time was a Beverly McRae, showed me around, told me what combat control did. And then uh, he and Chief Davis, along with uh, Chief Howe, helped put my package together. And then they, uh, and then they sent me TDY to Fort Bragg to support a exercise called Exotic Dancer, and uh, ended oh, up. Chief, working. Uh, okay, now hold on. 
you have you have such a remarkable career chief that that i saw things like you know and i i want to we really want to talk about those things later but i'm gonna have to call you i think you're okay. lying to us is it was it really called exotic dancer yes <laughs> that is the best exercise name i've ever heard we have terrible exercise names now everything is you know red flag this and you know teak iron that and and you got to go to an exercise called exotic dancer that's fantastic yeah. yeah, and of course, the clubs used to have go-go dancers and things like that, you know. That <laughs> Make break. the Air Force great again. Continue, Chief. <laughs> oh so, so what's interesting is I was up there for six weeks. I worked for a guy named Henry Tillman, SF guy, who actually eventually became, I think, one of the original uh, Delta Force guys. And I worked for him, and he kind of heard my story and he told me okay this is what you're going to have to do to prepare to go to jump school etc cetera, etc cetera. so he mentored me up there you know of course I had the late shift so like two o'clock midnight I'd go do my PT and he took me out taught me how to repel took me on a river crossing etc fast forward I come back from exotic dancer uh, Colonel Allen and Miss Brown his secretary hand me uh orders i've been reassigned to the first south cct so i go i said you know hey i was jumping up and down with joy and of course they weren't real happy but so then i show up over immediately i grab all my stuff and head to the, the over on the flight line where the first south wing or or no eastern hangar is where they were at the time <clears throat> and i reported in and the guy I reported to is Jim Charvette, Mike Charvette's father. Oh, wow. And, <laughs> that is great. I worked with CT. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And so he was my training guy. Of course, back then, we didn't have a pipeline like we have today. There, there was no formal pipeline. Uh, and so Jim, you know, Sergeant Charvette, was responsible of working with CBPO and the different uh, aspects to get individuals like me that were cross-training uh, schools. And so Jim fortunately got me a slot to jump school. I think it was the June of 71 when I went to jump school. And every time you completed school, you came back, turned in your certificate. And if you're fortunate, he had a slot for the next school. So it kind of went uh, like that. So I went to jump school, came back, he handed me orders to air traffic control school at Kiesler. And that's where uh, Wayne Norad and I linked up. You know, we were both cross trainees. Uh, he was a BB stacker, as he calls himself. And I was a, you know, I can't say it on the podcast, but I was a. <laughs> you can say whatever trainee. you want, Chief. Let me tell you, you know, uh, you know, the old joke about if a tree falls in the forest, you know, nobody's there. Does anybody hear it? Nobody listens to this anyway. So you just say whatever you want. <laughs> you can <Okay>. be there. <laughs> yeah. I'm, well, I'm kidding. Well, back then, they, we called ourselves titless waps, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you had a BB stacker and a titless waps going through cross training together, you know. And uh, and then came back out of air traffic control school and then <clears throat> got orders to go to combat control school uh, at uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. And combat control school then, uh, it, there's no comparison to what, uh, what the career field does in school today compared to what, what I went through. Not that 
they didn't fat focus on core tasks like you know lz's dz's extraction zones at that time you know lapes and uh, limited weather observation uh long range communication you know with their hf sets that was uh, our core uh pt program uh maybe we ran a mile and a half uh max and did a few exercises uh not the regiment uh, that you gentlemen went through or what you're familiar with um and you know it wasn't uh, necessarily physically uh demanding in, in that case not that the field portion wasn't long and arduous it's just that that six weeks we were in school uh we spent uh a lot of time you know we had to become rigor qualified at that time so you know we had to you know learn how to pack our main parachute our our reserve parachute uh, we had uh, what was called the md gen md 28 generators uh we had to learn how to maintain that uh then back then we had the mark was at 107 if i recall correctly you know, that eventually came to Mark 108, the communications jeep, the M15. So we spent a ton of time in combat control on those those core tasks, I call, obviously, LZ, DZ, EZs, and limited weather observation. In fact, at that time, they had a uh, combat weather individual <clears throat> assigned that taught limited weather observation uh, to us. And then... Uh, <laughs> Trent got very excited, Chief. He was like, I knew it. Weather, weather shows up. I got it. He's not a weather guy. He doesn't forecast, but hey, there not, it is. Not anymore. <laughs> yeah. And a guy, I think of the staff certain Curry was a, a weather guy and he did a hell of a job. And I learned a lot about limited weather observations and, uh, and, and for the career field at that time, when you look at what the career field was doing in Southeast Asia and what it did prior to that, you know, uh, we were good at our core task. Uh, we never uh, went much away from uh, what I call, um, you know, air to ground interface or air operations. Um, and uh, also, you know, Halo and Scuba was not part of the program back then. You know, certain teams had Scuba qualified people certain teams had halo type qualified people. Now, Herbert, uh, the first South had both. They had halo guys and they had scuba guys, but it wasn't a requirement. You know, if you wanted to be halo qualified, then, you know, they would try to get you to halo school. But back then, you know, when I got, when got back out of combat control, uh, they said, you want to be halo qualified? And I said, sure. Okay. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Why not? Sounds great. <laughs> yeah. And so there was no wind tunnel. There was no, uh, what you call it. Okay. This is how you do a Delta. Yeah. You know, they put you on the parachute table. Okay. This is how you do a Delta to stabilize. And this is how you clear and pull. Okay. You got that. Okay. Got it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Here's the plane. Yeah, <laughs> time, exactly. time to go. You, I, looks like I'm you got it. I'm not bullshit. Excuse my English. <laughs> <laughs> and I got. I think my instruct two instructors, a guy named Pete Larkin, 
and uh, Johnny Hall, if I recall correctly, said, okay, put your orange jumpsuit on. Here, we'll put you up. And it was uh, like a <clears throat> uh, Dash 12, which was a you know pull riser type parachute. And we walk out, we climb on a C-47. They take off, they fly out to field six, 10,000 feet. And, you know, lo and behold, I get shoved out the thing and I'm tumbling, you know, like a rock. Yeah. <laughs> and, and oh yeah the delta i gotta do the delta okay and uh nice and stable, stabilized and then of course back then they didn't have on this parachute they didn't have regular rip cords they had like a t-handle and that thing was wedged in you know with a sledgehammer and so you know every time you know i saw guys you know would take their t-handle and put a rubber band around it and i wasn't smart enough to pick up on that in the first jump and, and so when I finally opened up, you know, I was pretty fairly low to the ground. We didn't have timers back then, but. Oh uh, my God, chief, like yeah. you had the rest of your life to figure it out. Did you live from that jump? I, I guess I should ask. <laughs> I'm puckering yeah. up just listening to this. I honestly. know my heart rate is 195 beats per minute. Solid. Yeah. Yeah. So I finally got that T handle out of the socket. And then I said, that's the last time I'm putting that thing in the socket. I'll, I'll put a rubber band around it so I can pull. Cause you know, when you're pulling, I went head down and then and you can imagine what the head down opening was like. So, uh, and then, you know, just to get off the, the halo, you know, my sixth, was it sixth or seventh jump? Seventh jump, true story. You know, we're going halo, got an MC 130 coming in. I can't remember where it came from. And we're gonna do a night 20 grander. Okay, this is my seventh jump. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I, ha I haven't figured out how to completely stable out after exiting the aircraft other than go to the Delta. So, Chief, you were yeah. falling through the sky just like those safes and your first duty assignment that you were supposed to square away. That was you. Like you went from fixing the safes to falling <laughs> like a greasy safe. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. So here we go. We get, you know, they get the oxygen console on. You got, you know, now they go through, okay, this is how your oxygen mass, okay. Uh, I think it was Pete Larkin. Okay, that looks good, Sergeant Lampy, that's sealed. Okay, this is your bailout bottle. <clears throat> At two minutes, we're gonna give you a signal. You pull this thing and then you're gonna get a rush of air. And then two minutes later, we're gonna go off the ramp at 20K. You're gonna fall for 90 seconds and then you open up your parachute, you got it? <laughs> yes, Sergeant. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, cool. So I'm just going to fall through the sky and then hopefully not die. Yeah, tracking. Let's go. Lucky number seven, baby. Yeah. And so so now, you know, we're at Pino drop zone. Uh, we're flying at 20 grand. There's kind of lightning, uh, thunderstorms all around. So they open up the ramp, you know, and the, the sky just brightens up with the lightning activity. And, you know, and I'm sitting here, you know, just saying my prayers and God, I hope they cancel this damn jump. Jesus, you know. And the next thing I know, we get the two minute warning. Okay, activate the bailout bottle. Everybody lines up, do their final check. And so we walk to the ramp, you know, and I'm looking at the ramp and the lightning, uh, you know, brighten up the sky, the airplanes bouncing around. And so we get the green light to go. And true story, you know, I come up to the ramp, instead of jumping off, I squat. And I turn around and push myself off the ramp, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
No, wow, I don't know Chief, why. why did you, don't ask why. me why. <laughs> yeah, they rode me like a dirt bike for uh, months. Yeah, Lampy the squat loop, you know. Oh, oh no that's a, yeah. the best part about being on the teams and i'm so glad that this is you know I, we come from a proud <laughs> heritage and obviously we stand on the shoulder of giants but i'm so glad to know that you, you had friends that were were good enough friends that would make fun of you for almost dying for months and months at a time because we yeah. we carry that proud tradition today <laughs> <laughs> and so once i finished that training i don't know i ended up with 15 16 jumps and it's okay you're you're halo qualified you survived Good job. Next <laughs> you're you're alive. Here are your wings. Congratulations. Now go to your yeah. next school. Yeah, and then the, the next thing, you know, Jimmy Charvet walks up and says, uh, "Hey, uh, I got a slot to survival school up in Fairchild. You know, you want to go?" You know, I yep. said, uh, "Yeah, is that the next step?" And back then, being phase three combat qualified, and he says, "Yep." And of course, now Chief Howell's the, the chief at the uh, Jimmy Howell's, or not Jimmy, but uh, Billy Howell's father um, is the chief at the organization. And, and they, had a, they had a TDY to Southeast Asia in support of a project called Project 404. And it was in Laos. And I didn't know diddly. I just heard guys talking about, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I kept walking in, telling Jimmy Charvet, hey, I want to go on 404. You're not combat ready. You don't have the experience. And so then I go to the chief out and say, chief, I'm a volunteer to go to Laos. And he says, you're not combat ready. You're not qualified. <laughs> I said, okay. But I want to. Yeah, but I want to, but that's the thing. Like, but I mean, yeah. can you just let me go or is this not a thing or? Yeah. And, and so I said, well, just put it on the record. I'm a volunteer. So, you know, I go off to uh, Fairchild, do my thing at Fairchild, <clears throat> come back and I think, uh, when did they grab? I came back like on a, a Thursday night or Friday and I walk in, I give my certificate for completing uh, SB80 uh, and Jimmy Charvet says, can you swim? <laughs> this I is said, not gonna end well for you. Listen, no. if, I've learned, if I've learned anything <laughs> from this story, Chief, this is not gonna go well. So, uh, so I said, yeah. I, my mom and dad sent me to YMCA swimming classes, what they could Perfect. afford. And I, 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 I got to the fish standard. There's like minnow and fish, <laughs> dolphin. You did, but I, you didn't get to like dolphin or shark. Oh, no. No, no. I, I said, I'm a fish. <laughs> he says, okay. And he says, uh, God, uh, Ernie, Sh Sh you know, I'm trying to think. It was Pete Larkin, Johnny Hall, and uh, a 304. Uh, I want to say first name was Ernie. I said, okay, uh, this afternoon, it was Friday afternoon now, says they're going to take you to Defoniac Springs and uh, give you an orientation because uh, uh, we've got a slot to go to the underwater swimmer school at Key West, which was at that time run by the SEAL program or SEALs. I said, okay. I says, that helped me get combat ready, you know, combat. Yep. Okay, I'm in. So go out to Defuniac Springs and they got the, what the twin 72s, they got double holes regulators and stuff. And they said, uh, okay, you know how to swim, right? Yep, I know how to swim. Okay. I'm a fish. Yeah. yeah, I'm a fish, come on. <laughs> you know, what's wrong with you guys? <laughs> Do you guys not know what the YMCA swim program is? All right, yeah. thanks. I'm, 
Thanks, underwater SEAL teams. Okay. Yeah. YMCA actually ran the first pre dot program. The first pre dot, yeah. <laughs> the first pre dot. And so, okay. So, Cucuniac Springs, uh, they, they, uh, the water is just cold as hell. They got wetsuits, but me, I got UDT shorts and a t shirt. And, uh, and I think, yeah, it's April, uh, end of April, you know, yeah, end of April. And it's still a bit chilly in the springs that don't warm up real good. And so I'm in there and they're showing me how to breathe through a double hose regulator. And then next thing, okay, now this is how you buddy breathe. Okay, boom, you know, boom, and he handed back. So we went through the buddy breathing thing. And then they did a little, you know, if your mask is full of water, okay, this is how you clear, clear your mask, okay? And then they did like, a, they took me down, I don't know, about 30 feet um, in the springs and then, you know, talked about, hey, you know, you got to constantly exhale as you're, you know, coming up and, okay, you know, I can do that. I'm exhaling all right. I'm breathing uh, hard can, exhaling. Can, can I pause you there? So you went sure. from literally just being able to swim and the way that they got you ready for the dive school is that they took you out and they dove you to 30 feet in freezing water and showed you how to buddy breathe? <laughs> okay, I'm just I'm just making sure because there are some there are some people in our circles right now that are complaining about having to wear their blues during the week, and I just want to I, I just want to frame a reference for what's really hard in your pipeline. You know what I mean? These kids have to wear a different a different outfit to work, and they're not really happy about it. And they took you to a 45 degree spring and dove you on a double hose regulator as an intro to going to Key West. Okay, cool. Continue. Thanks. Sorry. Yeah. And, and so, so I went down there, you know, I learned how to, you know, go up, breathe perfectly. And then they took me to kind of the shallow part of the, the springs as where you walk into the springs and did a little pool harassment. You know, they yanked the regulator out, you know, tied it up in knots behind the manifold and, and then see if I could figure out how to, you know, untangle it to get my air back. Um, I'm not saying I basically graduated that phase of pre-scuba very well, but, you know. I, <laughs> None of us did. <laughs> yeah. They call you a combat diver, though, Chief. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, so we're done. I mean, maybe an hour, maybe two, maybe it was three. Okay, and then we stop along the way, and we get uh, oysters on the half shelf for 50 cents and a couple beers, and, and uh, I get back you know, put the equipment away. And, and then on the parachute table, uh, there's an envelope there, you know, Sergeant Lampy. And so I open it up and it's my orders and my plane ticket to leave on Sunday to go to Key West. Oh, cool. So, well, at least you didn't have to wait a whole long time. I'm actually going to call the training wing and tell them that a one day pre-dive orientation is, is the solution. Yeah. Historically, it works. Yeah. You can't tell me it doesn't. <laughs> So, so I, you know, now I should, you know, I fly down to Key West, I show up and, uh, and the underwater swimming schools there, and they've got this big shark that sits there in front of the entrance with a diver holding onto the fin. So I walk in and there was, uh, got not, uh, not a master chief, not a senior chief. Uh, I can't recall what rank, uh, the seal was a guy named Sweezy. Uh, who had a, quite a, a glorious uh, uh, combat uh, 
uh, history in Vietnam. Supposedly, supposedly, you know, he had the most hand kills when of any SEAL in Vietnam. So I report into him and I say, sir, I'm reporting for boom. That was the first mistake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I had, he says, do I look like an officer? Uh, I said, no. He says, that's right. I work for a living, you know, and I keep the officers out of trouble and pointing in the right direction. So since you don't know the difference, I want you to take your airman ass outside, climb up on that shark and sit there until I tell you, you can get down. So, right, yeah. Susie. yeah, yeah, yes, sir. And so, well, guess who shows up while I'm sitting on, on, on the phone? The PJ class, <laughs> who, who now has been in, uh, what we call indoctrination for what 12 weeks you know they had mm -hmm. quite a program you know guy named mike long mike brown uh guys that stick in my my mind uh they show up and, and they're studs they're you know they're in great shape you know they've been at indoc uh, for 12 weeks you know preparing for this day so eventually i get down and you know boom and you know first day First day, the pararescuemen, no disrespect to the pararescuemen, started just basically giving the seals a hard time. You know? No, that's that's also a part of our history. We are terrible to be around. Great hair, <laughs> awful in any sort of group environment. No, that's that's also good. Yeah. And, and so, you know, they're basically, and these are young, I mean, these guys could run like gazelles and they could do push-ups until the sun never came down. And that, that they were just studs that, I mean, the, the pipeline put those guys in excellent shape. And so you got a cross training like me. Uh, there was another combat controller that came from Alaska. I think his name was Stanfield. And then we had a couple coasties. And, uh, and of course these guys are, you know, the, the seals are taking us a nice, you know, three mile run down along the water and boom, what a good pace, you know, that everybody boom. And of course the PJs are running out ahead of this steel instructor, you know, egging them on. Damn Jay. And, Dude, uh, I know. I'm sorry, Chief. I, I'd like to apologize <laughs> on behalf of the entire career field from 1966 forward. <laughs> we can't be trusted. It's just a thing. Yeah. And so I, I think yeah, we got back off in a, then of course, now we're on the uh, uh, football field at PT. Now, now the instructors are in control. Now the pararescuemen, like I said, superb shape, you know, the rest of us who hadn't been 12 weeks preparing for this event, uh, we're having some real challenges keeping up with the flutter kicks and the push-ups and the, the burpees and all that. And, you know, so we finally got released and uh, went back to the uh, barracks and I think it was Mike Long. I said, Mike, hey, think about us, you know? <laughs> I mean, you guys, I got it, but, you know, a guy named McDonald, he was a coastie, said, man, you're going to kill this guy. You know, what's up? Let's stay within the, within the parameters, you know, and, you know, of course that went on unheated. And so that just continued <laughs> uh, day after day until we got to pool harassment. And pool harassment, uh, you know, they turn your back to the pool. 
And I had a swim buddy that said, Hey, I'm Patty qualified. You don't have to worry. You know, I'm wondering, you know, uh, you know, can I, can I do this? You know? And so the first group went in and now it's seals revenge. You know, <laughs> it, you know, all the troops are down there holding on to their buddy. And I swear every instructor that was assigned to that school must've been on the first wave of pool harassment, you know, and they just, they just raked, you know, did a number on these guys. And there's got a couple guys come up. Yeah, I can't breathe. Boom, boom. Hey, you think they let them out of the pool? Hell no, you know, down. And so that went on and came my turn to go in with my swim buddy. And, you know, he's saying, hey, relax, Mike, I got it. I can hold my breath for two minutes, you know, you know, you just hang in there. I'll give you my regulator. Boom. And we got hit by probably three or four instructors. And, <laughs> you, know, you know, I got my double holes regular wrapped around my neck and the manifold. And the next thing I know, my swim buddy who can hold his breath two minutes is nowhere to be found. <laughs> the classic story. So I'm on the bottom of the pool struggling with that. And, you know, you know, I, I, I refused to go up and eventually is, you know, and not, I probably am turning white, purple, whatever you turn, you know, cause I just, I couldn't hold the breath, but finally the instructor came down, put me up. Next thing, when I finally get to surface, there's my swim buddies hanging onto the stairs, pretty much, you know, yelling, I quit, I quit, I quit. And I, I swam away and said, what happened to the two minutes you could hold your breath? <laughs> Yeah, I love it in the, in the in the worst time for him. Like he is no kidding. Like quitting an event, he is terrified. And you chose that time to swim over to him and be like, "Well, what happened to the two minutes, big guy?" Yeah, <laughs> what an asshole I was. <laughs> <laughs> that's how that's how we knew you made. You know, the selections are are remarkably similar, Chief. That's one of the things that we look for. There's normally five attributes. The sixth is, "Are you an asshole?" And that's yeah. that's basically it. <laughs> yeah. it's the only so, way I, it's the only reason i made it through indoc <laughs> and so so now i you know i go up uh, and sit down and i don't know how many got eliminated in the first wave and now they give me another swim buddy okay and i think he was a coastie if i recall so here we go we go back into the pool again and it's almost like a snapshot or uh of what just took place previously so there i'm at the bottom of the pool again i'm not coming up but got my double holes regularly wrapped around my neck and i can't get the mouthpiece next thing i know the seal comes down pulls me back up and there's my swim buddy hanging on to the ladder <laughs> i'm saying jesus <laughs> okay you know sergeant lamp go go sit over there we're gonna find you another swim buddy <laughs> no one's volunteering for that no one's volunteering yeah you're the black cloud you know i found the problem chief i found the single constant in this scenario and it's you yeah <laughs> so so the next thing i know um a pj mike uh, mike brown that uh, mike had already passed uh pool harassment he was on the other end they went over and got mike and brought him back over to be my swim buddy so you know quick story and mike Mike had completed dive school, uh, except for the last hundred foot dive where he blew an eardrum. And so they wouldn't, they wouldn't graduate him. 
and they wouldn't let him just do that last dive to graduate. So he got recycled and had to go back through the whole scuba school. That is, that is the worst. The only thing worse than that, and I, I really had a moment right here because I, during my indoc, I had already passed an event. It was on an eval and it was an odd number. And when you hear when, you know, I don't know how Mike Brown felt, but I know when I heard that instructor go, we need one more love, get over here. You're going again. I bet Mike Brown was so mad at you. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he was happy camper. Considering <laughs> what he went through previously. Yeah, he just sure. got through and now, Oh, I got to go with this dumbass combat controller. <laughs> that can't seem to hold on to a swim buddy. So, so here we go. And, and this time, uh, it, the harassment was the same, but, uh, I tell you, Mike, uh, kept his cool and him helping keep the cool. And we worked together as a team and I'll be forever grateful to him. Um, because I, I'm not sure another swim buddy outside his capability, you know, I would have got there. Um, and, uh, so, you know, he was a great swim buddy and, uh, and uh, we went through a pool harassment and then it, we ended up being swim buddies for rest of the uh, uh, rest of the class. And uh, and then uh, what was interesting, as you recall, I mentioned earlier on, I couldn't be a pararescue. I couldn't apply because my eyesight uh, wasn't good enough. Well, actually, the requirement to go through scuba school at the underwater swimming school was 2020 but I didn't wear my glasses. You know, it was 2050, 2060. And so on one of our night uh, compass swims, we got ran into a pack of Portuguese man of wars or whatever, the jellyfish, um, oh, no. you know, that just stings like hell. And so a lot of us, uh, you know, took on a lot of, you know, stings and stuff. And so we're, you know, going through the, uh, the medical boom and the, the medical chief, you know, uh, there, the chief is reading through, you know, going to give me some stuff. And then he's reading through, uh, uh, my medical record. And he says, uh, yeah, your eyesight, according to your medical records is 2050, 2060. And, uh, and he says, how come you're not wearing your glasses? Um, I said, uh, cause I did, I don't need them. He says, but you're supposed to have 20-20 vision to go through this school. I said, I understand, Chief. You know, but uh, when I before I came here, and this is a you know just me being a bullshit artist. Uh, <laughs> my my OIC, my train NCO, basically wrote a letter to the Navy asking for an exception to policy you know, for this, because of the shortage of the career field, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, they accepted it. And that's why I got orders. You know, that's all bullshit. You know? <laughs> so you hit them with the finesse, I just yeah. basically to stay in school. You were like, all right, let's see if this happens. Just act like you own the place. Don't wait to be told differently. Be brief, be bold, be gone. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. And so he said, okay, now you're good to go. Take this medicine. Da, da, da. And, uh, that was, uh, uh, I'm sitting there after all I went through, you know, especially pool harassment. Ain't no way you're going to kick me out because they can't see nope. as good as everybody else. <laughs> 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 and, uh, 
you know, and then, you know, we graduated and uh, this is a boom. So we're at the picnic, uh, you know, the instructors hosted a picnic and the pararescue men, I'm sorry, just, just couldn't let up. And <laughs> again, standard. Listen, none of this is surprising to me at all. Like you, you can't just be normal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, you can't come on PJs. Can you just go to the picnic? No. Yeah, just have no. a hot dog and a hamburger, drink a few beers. And shut up for once. <laughs> Please. No, but, uh, you know, Mike Long, uh, pararescue, his dad was a captain in the Navy, I think, if I recall correctly. <clears throat> and, of course, everybody heard the stories about Sweezy, you know, and how bad he was and et cetera. So, you know, Mike Long goes up, you know, Sweezy's sitting on the picnic table drinking a beer, like eating a hot dog and you know mike Lund, hey i understand you're really a badass I, you know are you really you have that many hands you know boom i bet uh, uh i bet you're not as bad as everybody says you are etc cetera, etc cetera. you know and before before he could get another word out now <laughs> sweezy reached back and punched him right in the face and mike must have went 20 yards <laughs> That's, you know what that is, Chief? You know, he was trying to get his attention. Well, now you have it. So you know yeah. what? You get everything that you deserve. There's there's a common colloquialism, and the uh, yeah. the acronym is F-A-F-O. And uh, <laughs> my friend did screw around, and he found <laughs> out. So you know what? That's what you get. Yeah. And so and you got to understand Sweezy. Sweezy uh, uh, was of Indian descent, uh, Seminole Indian. And he, he wasn't a small guy. Neither was Mike long but sweezy i think was six five must have weighed i i want to say safely two two twenty five maybe two thirty you know hard as a damn rock you know and built like a brick shit house and one punch and mike uh was uh resting at that tree he hit <laughs> well th there is one different like we're not allowed to punch the students anymore, but once again, make dog school great again. I love it. wasn't it. a student anymore that graduated. Oh, they so graduated. Did, so, so, Chief, did, did that mean you were combat qualified? Were you were you going to get that ticket to 404 or what? Well, uh, so I get back. You know, I come back from uh, Key West. And, of course, uh, true story, I, I met a young lady on the flight back. She lived in Minneapolis, you know. And, you know, we kind of hit it off. And so I... Uh, land at Hurlburt and she invited me her family had a cabin up by the lake and I said well you know you know it was Memorial Day weekend we graduated on the 25th of May if I remember 1972 and I think the weekend was the Memorial Day weekend if I recall correctly <clears throat> so I just figured okay uh so I get back and I tell Jimmy Charvette hey I'm going to take some leave and he said well you know we need a phone number to put on your leave slip, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I called her up in Minneapolis and she gave me a phone number. So, okay. You know, I said, just for purposes, administrative, whatever I said. And so I jump on an airplane, fly to Minneapolis and, uh, you know, meet her parents and, you know, we'll go out to dinner that night. Uh, we're sitting around on the lake at the cabin and the phone at the cabin rings. Okay. <laughs> It is. that's not good yep. yeah it's not good and and she's looking at me i thought she said nobody would call he says i know my parents aren't calling 
okay, well, let's answer it. You know, this, you know, maybe it's just the wrong number. So I pick up the phone and guess who it is? Chief Master Sergeant James Howell. And he says, Sergeant Lampy, you still a volunteer for Project 404? Uh, I said, yes, Chief. Well, then you need to get on the next airplane coming back to Hurlburt ASAP. And of course, my, my field female command companion was not a happy camper. <laughs> but I got to be honest with you. That's, that's what the kids call a flex. When you hang that phone up and you're like, sorry, honey, I got to go to go. war. America yeah. needs me. America needs me. <laughs> yeah. So re, uh, begrudgingly, she basically volunteered to drop me off at the Minneapolis airport. And uh, we never communicated again. I got back down there. <laughs> Yeah, get that to Hurlburt. And then, uh, you know, Chief Al says, okay, uh, the guys that were, there was a couple guys, I think one was Charlie Hudson and another guy were supposed to be going or were, there was a primary and alternate, both tech sergeants. And uh, Charlie had gotten injured on a jump and then the uh, alternate uh, had family issues or something like that, I don't recall. But he had nobody else, you know, to turn to. And of course, yeah, I, I just got, you know, bless his phase three, uh, you know, and, and so he says, okay, you need to report over to the coin school, which now is the special operations, uh, you know, school, uh, you need to attend an indoctrination class, uh, with a couple of the folks that you're going to be traveling with over to project 404. And that's where I met a guy named Jerry Ryan. Uh, he was an A1, A1E pilot and actually had flown in the Sante rate uh, as a, I think the number two uh, A1E. And then a guy named Charlie Day, who was the uh, uh, mechanic, maintenance guy uh, for T-28s. He'd been over there numerous times. So that's where I met those two gentlemen and they ended up being damn good mentors, damn good leaders uh, for for a rookie like me going into Southeast Asia, being a one-man band. And that's what I was uh, going into Laos. And uh, quite, uh, quite the education, you know, indoctrination, we flew over, you go to the embassy, you pretty much drop everything off, uh, you, know, you know, from your wallet. Uh, I don't recall uh, if we had our ID cards or not, I don't think so. Um, because, uh, you know, there was only seven of us, I think, up country working with the uh, agency. And we were attached to the agency and, you know, uh, pretty much like a military <coughs> assistance program. You know, my responsibility as a combat controller primarily was flight following and uh, provide uh, some ATC assistance as required uh, for the uh, uh, 20 alternate. and you know, uh, periodically maybe uh, do some communications with the uh, gunships. And back there, we had the Spooky, the Stinger, and the, the uh, Spectre. You know, I had all three. <clears throat> and uh, it was an uh, uh, interesting uh, six months. You know, the first day I landed in 20 alternate, we took incoming, you know, and, you know, 130 millimeters, uh, it was 
you know, you just climb it off a, a porter, which Air America, you flew up from Finchin, uh into uh, northern Laos and and they drop you off at the different locations you're working at. And uh, now, as soon as we got off, we started taking income and the porter whipped around and took off lickety split and everybody's scattering. And I saw a bunker and I said, you know, I'm gonna go to the bunker. Nobody's heading the bunker, I don't understand. And then one of the Filipino uh, ground maintenance folks who worked for Air America working on the 01 Ravenbirds, you know, saw me heading boom and he, you know, kind of jumping and waving, don't go in there, don't go in there. You know, so, okay, I followed him. And then to come to find out, you know, when they built the bunkers, uh, the Cobras had made it home. Oh, like the like the snake, the Cobra? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, pass. Yeah, Chief, I'm out. You know what? The dive school thing, never diving before, never jumping before with minimal training. You know, I'm in for all that because I'm not that smart. I'm, I'm not. Uh, so I got a couple bugaboos. I don't like heights. I don't like loud noises. I faint when I see blood. I'm not good at pressure <laughs> scenarios. And I really don't like snakes. So I think that's probably the snakes would have just put me over the top. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my that was my first day in country. You know, you know, that was my that first absolutely point. just unbelievable. Like I don't even think unbelievable is the right word for it, Chief. That is an absolutely unbelievable turn of events. Well, and and, and Chief, I've, I've read a few things from the guys that went into Laos during that time, and it sounds like it, it, it all lines up. They take your stuff, you're in civilian clothes, and they basically just tell you to go forth and conquer, and they drop you off, good luck. And then Cobras. Yeah. <laughs> Best possible scenario. Yeah, it... Uh... It was an experience. And then, you know, I spent six months up there, uh, you know, roughly uh, got in there in June and then uh, uh, came out, I think in January 73, uh, when the peace accord, uh, Paris peace accord conversations were going on. And, uh, and it, I tell you, it was an education. Uh, I, I, I was very blessed uh to have that opportunity it wouldn't necessarily be the way i would recommend you bring young troops just combat ready along <laughs> you know what, you know what Chief, we're better i'm gonna write that down i think you got a point yeah but you know today what you gentlemen do what the career field's doing with uh ast and the pipeline uh you know you guys wouldn't have a problem with that me uh, you heard my pipeline story. And so I really, I had never landed a real airplane on an LC. I'd never worked a real uh, airstrike gunship. Uh, never had worked a resupply, uh, CDS drop, none of that. And never really ran long range communications other than what we did in the schoolhouse. So I had to, pull back what knowledge I picked up in the pipeline and apply it uh, to each of those incidents. So I had an opportunity to do a little ATC, did a ton of flight following, um, uh, assisted with the uh, AC-130 inspector gunship a couple nights when we're up there, uh, worked with the uh, uh, Air America folks and helped out uh, one of the agency uh, 
uh, reps that ran logistics, uh, ran a couple resupply CDS drops, um, you know, and then, you know, I ran a few SAR missions. Actually, I think the second or third day, uh, I met one of the Raven pilots. The Ravens would come in, land, and you'd re rearm them. You know, you'd fart them, for lack of term. Uh, yeah. Rearm them, refuel them, uh, et cetera. And, you know, I met the, this, uh, you know, Raven Elva pilot. Uh, next thing I know, uh, he gets shot down. And so now I'm running his SAR mission. Uh, you know, you know, it's Christian on the fire. Nobody taught me how to run a SAR mission, but I'm a focal point, you know, you know, coordinating with the command post at I think it was seventh air force at non you know, dealing with the embassy in Ben Shan, um, and you know, all that. And what, so that, what rank were you at this time, chief? Were you, were you still an airman first class? E5? Uh, I was a buck sergeant then. I got promoted during that. Wow. I, yeah. <clears throat> I and, seriously uh, feel significantly inadequate right now. Inadequate? Yeah, I was going to say inadequate. Uh, you know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm sitting here, like, I'm trying not to make it about me, but, like, I think a lot of the, 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 the lack of training and all that other stuff, the reason I care about the pipeline and training so much is yeah. I want to say it. I have a similar experience to you. It's it's similar, but I don't want to be like I'm like Chief Lampy. That right, would be yeah. ridiculous. I would I would make fun of you. Yes, <laughs> I would never say that. <laughs> but uh, but Chief, I think I think there's a good place to kind of wrap. I think we already talked about doing a part two. We're definitely we're gonna yeah. have to do a part two. But we made it through the the your pipeline, so to speak, which was insane. And yeah. then they threw you into the fire into 404. And I think uh, next time. You know, as, as we go through the, we just shut down Afghanistan and we're moving into a, a, a peacetime more or less. I think we're, we're going to be really interested to hear how you navigated the, the rest of your, um, and I say unironically, uh, illustrious career, uh, right. at least at least a part two. We might have to do a, a three or four parter because this is incredible. And um, yeah, I, I, now, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing. Now, let me throw just a couple things in on the Laos experiences, you know, Please. besides doing the uh, combat control stuff, as I would call it, the core task, um, you know, I worked with Charlie Day, the maintenance guy. So what I learned is how to load bombs, you know, on T-28, how to refuel them, how to load up 50 cal in the guns, how to basically check for chip lights, you know, when you're running the T-28, et cetera. And it all, it all came into play. I think it was the 5th of November. Uh, we were getting ready for the uh, big uh, uh, General Bank Pal was going to try to retake the PDJ. And so we had just loaded up, I think, 10 T-28s is all we could uh, put on the ramp uh, there at Longchen with, you know, bombs and everything. And we were loading up the uh, O-1s with the, uh, you know, their Willie P rockets and doing all that stuff. And then this, uh, you know, uh, O-1 was taxiing up with the, the Raven and there was a, an electrical short that shot off all his Willie P rockets. And his Willie P rockets hit the air ops place. You know, fortunately nobody was ser seriously injured, but it hit three of the T-28s that we had fully refueled and had just put the bombs on and put 50 cows. And, and so, you know, Charlie Day and I were really the only two left on the ramp. So I had the, the Mark 107 
and Charlie's running from his location. I jump in the Jeep, drive up, almost do a, like a UD pickup, you know, with them in the Jeep. And we get up where the three T-28s are burning and all that training that I learned from Charlie of defusing the bombs, uh, disconnecting the batteries because the batteries are up behind the T-28, you have to drop, drop it down. Uh, actually stopped, uh, you know, that training paid off, but of course with Charlie as my teammate there, you know, we were able to defuse all those bombs which they were, each of them were carrying three of them. That would have been, each aircraft was carrying six. Uh, so 18 bombs, we were able to defuse, uh, disconnect the batteries, and then tow off with the Jeep. You know, we jerry-rigged, I think had a cargo strap in the back of the Jeep that we hooked to the uh, nose wheel of the T-28 and towed that off so uh, it wouldn't, you know, eventually explode uh, and have a chain reaction of the other seven aircraft. So, again, just super casual, just no big deal. Just going to tow, you're just going to put these bombs in the back of this Jeep and tow this aircraft away from the inherent mass casualty that we're about to have. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, you know, when it was all said and done, you know, you get up the little mess tent uh, that the agency had for their case officers. And they, they pulled out a case of beer and brought it over to Charlie and I, uh, you know, to thank us because uh, they were all sitting up uh, uh, above uh, the airfield watching this, uh, this fine <laughs> this show. This disaster unfold. Watching this disaster unfold. Oh, no. Hey, these guys are dead. Uh, <laughs> you know what? These guys live. Go ahead and get them some Budweiser's. They yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here's yeah. some PBR. Yeah. <laughs> I, I meant to ask him. I said, "Were you guys taking bets on if, you know which plane was going to blow up first? Or... <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, guys, I'll let you go. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Really enjoyed. Uh, kind of nice reliving uh, living history, I guess, in a way. Well, and, it, it's absolutely living uh, reliving history, and like we really appreciate you joining us. Like, it, like for everybody that's out there that that doesn't know, please please go just Google. Chief Mike Lampe, uh, L-A-M-P-E, and and you're going to get a whole bunch of history, like just a, a brief overview, um, but it, it's an incredible story, and we really appreciate you uh, you coming on and, and sharing just these stories that people don't hear about, because it, it's good for you, but it's also good for us, too, and it helps, you know, uh, give people a lot of insight, too. I mean, like, I, I wrote it down, just you know, because one of the things that's going on in the Air Force right now is this whole multi-capable airmen. People are worried about, you know, hey, I've got to learn how to do these jobs. Well, guess what? You had a combat controller loading bombs, you know, defusing bombs, doing SARM. It's just, it's incredible. So we definitely want to have you, and Trent nailed it, have you on for a, a round two, three, four, whatever, just, just story time, uh, because I love this. So uh, again, Appreciate everybody joining in, checking us out, and uh, we're out here. Thanks. Thanks, Chief. Appreciate it.